Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with Tanya Ali and Katie Winton. Good morning, you are listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics and trash from a feminist perspective. My name's Tanya Ali. And I'm Myra Stewart, filling in today for Katie Winton. Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land, and I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land we broadcast on, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities and would like to honour that history. We have a pretty packed show this morning. Uh, earlier this week, our usual co-host Katie Winton had a chat with Archie Barry, uh, who is a multidisciplinary artist working across video and performance. They spoke about Archie's upcoming performance artwork as part of the Public Body 03, an exhibition taking place at Artspace in Woolloomooloo on Wednesday the 26th of September. We'll also be hearing from Melbourne-based musician, producer, artist and architecture academic Simona Castricum about her upcoming performance at Soft Centre, a one-day festival of radical performance art, sound and visual design happening on Saturday, September 22nd um, at the Casula Powerhouse powerhouse arts center super excited about that and plus we're talking to lisa rose the director of queer screen film festival and jane morally who is the producer of nothing to lose a documentary by queer artist and fat activist kelly jean drinkwater screening as part of the festival on friday september 21st we've got a lot to get through this morning (laughs) so let's get right into it um, I got to check out Kite at Big Sound in Brisbane last week, um, and it was a pretty amazing experience. Um, the venue was absolutely packed, and the audience cheered so loudly at the end of her set that she actually started crying, which made me almost cry, and there was just a lot of love um, in the room. So um, this is Kate with Girl in the Picture, taken from her latest release, Live in Her Room. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. So lady, they're driving you crazy. Swear I told you this before. They just hit you up for all your perks. Only hit you up for the reason. Only come to you like a season. Only text back when it's convenient for them. How the can't you see this? You nearly just as blind as me, sis. And we ain't even on our second split. But already looking up one in a field like this. You don't need them. Sis, you don't need them. I'm telling you, this is my girl. I only want the best for you. Sis, you don't need them. You don't need them. Compromise with bottoms and fur, but minimal jumps, baby girl. Sis, you better snap right out of it. Their apologies and love is so ingenuine. Constantly, you're the one that's writing it. Same goes for the hairy brother that you was with. Please, sis, let's not do this again. You better not have to make me bring up your birthday weekend. Let's not do this again I know damn well you didn't get that 
Agenda on FBI Radio, and that was Kate with Girl in the Picture. Earlier this week, our usual co-host, Katie Winton, had a chat with Archie Barry, a multidisciplinary artist working across video and performance, whose upcoming performance artwork, Hypnic, is taking place at Artspace in Woolloomooloo on Wednesday the 26th of September as part of an exhibition called The Public Body 3. Hi, Archie. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about your work that is featured in the Public Body 03, uh, your video work called Tatsake, the final in a three-part series in a group exhibition that Artspace has presented annually from 2016 to 2018, exploring multifaceted ideas around the public body. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your video work in relation to the theme of the show. Yeah, sure. Um, as you said, this is the third instalment in a series of exhibitions and the prior two exhibitions uh, kind of looked at really specific ideas around the public body so um, this final I guess instalment in the series looks at ideas that are kind of detached from the physical form of a body Um, so the body kind of considered just as a departure point to think about um, ideas such as networks or constellations, um, interconnected processes. Um, So ideas about digital selves or hybridity. um, So um, I guess the the theme of the show or the exhibition rethinks what a body is at all. Um, And the video work that I have in the show, uh, Tatsache, that's a German phrase for the word, or the term, um, matter of fact. Um, And the work is like a meditation on ways to think and feel differently about living in a body. Um, 
it was just an attempt to make something that uh, feels emotionally and corporeally intense, but doesn't necessarily have a stable or a single message in it. Um, so the work has a trance-like hip-hop music track that features pitch-altered spoken word. Um, visually, the work is also an inverted colour scheme. Um, so it's, I guess it's a, a digital version of myself, or I think about the work as like a, a dream of a future self or a way to try and see or create um, self-determined masculinity prior to, I guess, embodying it in real time. Uh, just to go back to the title of it, I mean, matter of fact, that's interesting to me because I feel like the video um, is kind of referencing a lot of, like this dreamlike state that doesn't seem like anything is necessarily matter of fact. Um, mm. What was the um, intention behind the title? I guess as a way to say, um, matter of fact is that nothing is permanent and everything is kind of unhinged. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, there's not really a, a word for that in the English language. Um, and I'm of German descent, so it didn't feel too far from my lineage or history to look into other languages or try, trying to find something that could contain that idea. Um, yeah. Um, so you described the, the work as a devotional poem that questions totalizing systems of knowledge. Uh, and I found it really hypnotic to listen to with the soundscape in the video work. Did you always intend to create a musical element to the poem? Um, no, I didn't. And it's interesting, I find most of my work has music in it, but I never really set out um, or plan for that to be an element in what I do. So I work primarily with images. Um, and then at some point along the way, it seems I just allow myself to make music because it's often um, such a direct medium to carry an image along with. And I guess it, that sound and music can connect to audiences. A really particular feeling without words that necessarily need to make a lot of sense. Um, I guess I really feel like voices and music have an impact on our nervous system that is just entirely different to other visual forms on their own, such as painting or sculpture. Yeah, it's a very emotive, um, um, emotive response I find to music that sometimes can't necessarily be put into words. Yeah, precisely. It's like a um, really direct kind of pure form of communicating, like we can't help but listen to sound. Uh, did you collaborate with anyone on the track? In this version of the work that's at Artspace at the moment, that um, was produced by myself. Um, and then subsequently to that, I worked on like a newer and much different version in collaboration with Sean Lowry, who's an artist and academic and um, musician living in Melbourne. And so together we reworked the piece. Um, yeah. Um, 
the curatorial statement for the show references your work in relation to what you were talking about before, to this kind of idea of the third iteration being the advancing technology allows us to craft subjectivity and our own self-image. Um, and the line that's referenced from your video in the curatorial statement reads, this is how matter thinks about itself, solipsistic, egoic and desire-driven, uh, always hungry. Could you unpack that line a little? Um, where to begin? <laughs> well, I guess actually I'll begin with the line before that one, which goes, um, the universe is masturbating, playing with itself right now, forever playing. Uh, so I was thinking about the way that matter and really like the substance of all things is recycling itself. And I guess I was reframing that as potentially a form of autoeroticism um, and thinking about matter as intelligent um, and, and I guess suggesting that things can think about themselves and that's why kind of the reconstitution of elements is like a, a solipsistic um, or an ego-driven phenomenon in the world um, that we are also implicated in because I guess even our bodies which we often think of as us are just the results of elemental rearrangements really <laughs> um so i guess that line that lyric um this is how matter thinks about itself it's solipsistic it's egoic and it's desire driven um it's just a homage to the machinations of the world or the fact that um we don't fully understand things and we don't have dominion over things but our bodies know things. <laughs> mm. I quite like that as a reference to understanding bodies in a way as well. Like, not but, fully yeah, I feel that bodies have an intelligence that we're not smart enough to really understand a lot of the time. Like, I think about how my body knew that I wasn't the woman before I did. <laughs> so I guess the work, in a way, is suggesting, you know, the, the universe is playful and it's conscious of itself. Mm. You're also doing a performance for the exhibition called Hypnic on Wednesday, the 26th of September. I'm just going to read a part of the performance description. So it, you said, a hypnic jerk is the sudden inexplicable twitch or sensation of falling when drifting off to sleep, uh, often accompanied by a rapid heartbeat and sweating. The barriers between dreaming and being, between what is real and what is abstract, are gently dissolved in this performance work. Uh, so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the concept of the hypnic jerk and how that relates to your performance? Um, yeah, I'll just describe what happens in the performance yeah. really briefly. So it's a duet that I sing with myself. So I have a prosthetic cast of my nose and my lips, which are um, adhered to my hand, and my hand sings a pre-recorded song, which I then join in with, um, or accompany in harmony. Um, so the lyrics to that song, it's a very short song that's repeated a number of times in the lyrics go, I'm not really real and I'm not fake. It's enough to break me and shake me from my sleep where I dream that I'm awake. So the words are about that experience of a hypnic jerk, which 
is one of those things that I think a lot of people have had happen to them, and it's that thing of you're sort of falling into sleep, but suddenly you're jolted awake for a reason that you're uncertain of. So it's a thing that a lot of us experience, but most people don't know the name of it or why it happens. So I guess it's it's just a shared experience of uncertainty, and it's also at that slipping point between a rational waking mind and what we think of as the irrational unconscious mind. So the performance, I guess, was devised as a personal reflection on gender identity as another kind of shared experience of uncertainty and one that can be dreamy and one that can feel unreal but also sometimes shocking and inexplicable. So I guess that's how I was thinking about the piece, but I think it's also open enough for folks to connect to it on other levels unrelated to gender identity. Yeah, I feel like the hypnic jerk um, as a way of talking about that is, is kind of something that, as you said, a lot of people can relate to um, and something that I never knew was called that. So thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've also mentioned that you'd like to speak about the artists in the show that you admire. I'm interested to know who some of those artists are. So many artists. I'm feeling so honoured to be showing alongside. Um, and there are, yeah, there are a few people in the show who I've been a fan of since I was actually quite small. Um, so specifically Patricia Piccinini, who I recall seeing her just hyper-realistic hybrid human-animal sculptures when I was quite young at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. So it's so lovely to be kind of sharing an exhibition space with her. Um, there's also Jess Johnson, who is from New Zealand, now working in New York, and Jess creates incredibly complex worlds of these highly detailed, highly patterned, tessellating landscape environments full of fantastical sci-fi creatures. And she works across multiple modalities. I guess she makes drawing videos, um, really immersive visual virtual reality environments. Um, who else is there? Cecile B. Evans, um, artist who's currently working in the UK, who creates, also someone who creates virtual reality spaces. And I do not know how she does it, but she creates these really tender, sentimental moments between really vacuous, fictive avatars. Um, who else can I think of? There's a lot of work in the show. <laughs> There's a lot of incredible work in yeah. that show. Uh, lastly, I'm wondering if you have a song request for us to play today or if maybe there's a song that's inspired your work or any kind of song that you'd like me to play. Yeah, cool. Um, I would love you to play a song by this Japanese electropop trio called Triple Nipples and the song is called R.I.P. Meat. And I would just love to have that played because that's a very nostalgic song for me. I used to listen to a lot of Triple Nipples in my late teens. Um, so it'd be nice for that to be on the airwaves. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I can definitely play Triple Nipples. What kind of nostalgia, like what does it take you back to? Um, it takes me back to living in Sydney, um, 
playing and singing in another kind of punk electro pop trio <laughs> with two friends of mine and being i don't know just a bit of a waif floating around and not really knowing what was happening in the world <laughs> nonetheless making really fun music with friends thank you so much for talking to me for agenda uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. No problems. Um, if people want to see your performance, it's on the Wednesday, the 26th of September at Artspace. That's right. Great. Thanks so much, Archie.
104.5 FM, and we're joined now by musician, DJ, and architecture researcher, uh, Simona Kastrikram. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. So, Simona, in addition to your many forms of creative practice, uh, you're going to be performing as a visual artist at this year's Soft Centre, a one-day festival of radical performance art, sound and visual design happening on Saturday, September 22nd at the Casillo Powerhouse Arts Centre. Uh, could you tell us about what you have in store for the performance? Well, the, um, it's a collaboration with uh, myself and Papa Celia and Mossy Triple Three. So, Papaphilia is an um, electronic, uh, electronic artist, and, um, and Mossy Triple Three is a performance artist and, and, and dancer. Um, and uh, I guess what we're doing at Soft Centre are, are kind of two performances. One is all three of us coming together on the main stage, and the other is uh, an outdoor performance with myself and Mossy. Um, so um, my involvement, I guess, is really kind of, I guess, to curate the performances and, um, you know, it was really kind of to assemble a group of people to um, to work with. Um, so I'm kind of not really doing too much on the stage so much, uh, which is a really different kind of role for me. Uh, I'm... And it's sort of more in the background and um, looking at things from a conceptual, um, you know, place. Um, but the main thing that I'll be doing is projecting um, typography um, and using the soft center spaces and sort of reimagining how we kind of perform in those spaces and, and getting the most out of, I guess, its architectural and sort of tectonic components. Um, whilst Mossy and, and, uh, and Papa Filia do their thing. Amazing. It sounds incredible. I'm so excited to see it. Uh, as you just mentioned, uh, the work thresholds, does it incorporate your work as an architecture academic? Uh, could you tell us about how your music and visual art practice are shaped by your understanding of architecture? Well, for this performance, it's really... Um, I mean, the idea of threshold is to really kind of debunk, I guess, the idea of the threshold. Um, that certainly as a gender non-conforming person, as a designer, as someone that thinks about space, that space for me and the way that I kind of pass through space is I kind of pass through, you know, non-spaces or kind of um, um, liminal spaces, if you like, and that's very difficult um, if you're gender non-conforming to be to be visible, particularly in wide open space. You know, to in in lit space, for instance, because it brings with it this sense of surveillance or this sense of attention that isn't always um, a safe space to be in. Um, so sometimes it's kind of like the darkness or. Um, you know, kind of the edge or the underground or wherever it's kind of like a really interesting space to occupy. And I think that that's something that's quite inherent to queerness. Um, so I guess that's where the idea of thresholds comes from, is that um, kind of perhaps they don't exist um, in, in the ways that they're presented to us um, and trying to kind of re rework 
where we kind of fit in. So, for instance, where we might fit into a festival um, situation and how music and performance and electronic music performance as well and, and, and try to reimagine what that is within the festival uh, and present it to the audience in a very different way that interacts. So um, trying to make use of this huge turbine hall in the middle of Kashula Powerhouse, which is just the most amazing space to perform at. I performed in it last year. And um, so that experience informs this, I guess, for, for Mossy and for Papaphilia to be like, well, let's use as much as, as we possibly can. So I'm really excited. I don't want to let too much out of the bag, but I'm really excited for, for what's going to happen and the way that we connect the different spots. A hundred percent, yeah, and you're so right. The Casilla Powerhouse is an incredible space. Uh, very, very excited to see how you use it. Uh, and that kind of leads me on to my next question. You have spoken before and, and just then as well about the concept of queering architecture, um, and I'd love to hear you talk more about where this idea comes from and how how you reckon architecture can address the needs of queer and gender nonconforming people. Yeah, um, queering architecture is kind of like, you know, they'll name the panel queering architecture and you'll get invited to speak on it. And everyone's like, so tell me about queering architecture. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know, I guess like queering or, you know, queerness um, is really, I guess, about, um, it's about um, sort of intersectionality and it's about, uh, sexuality and gender nonconformity and kind of at its essence, I think. Um, and approaching community or approaching space with a sense of inclusion and a sense of interrogation um, and how we can reimagine these spaces, what they mean, the kind of forces behind them, what create them. So the institutions that, that are behind some of the buildings that that we occupy public spaces, street, and through doing that and through approaching that, I guess, through like a queer standpoint, we can start to be, uh, I guess, a lot more cognizant of lived experiences that might otherwise be sidelined or misunderstood, so particularly from a gender non-conforming uh, approach. We can kind of challenge the spaces that we that we live in uh, and I guess kind of look for a new way of, of imagining them that are a lot um, safer, that are about belonging, um, that are about some permanence for, for queer communities and um, I guess, you know, the different people that are within that because, of course, the queer community is made up with so many different people. Um, you know, we can start to think about things like decolonisation or accessibility um, and start to really look at the way that architecture is conceived from such a normative, um, uh, I guess, standpoint. If we look at every building, it's kind of like, you know, we design buildings because of an architectural brief or, you know, a document that kind of lays it out. Well, I'm saying, well, let's change that and, you know, let's imagine them in different ways. That's awesome. Yeah, such important work. 
Um, you recently wrote an article for The Guardian about Scott Morrison's tweet about what he calls gender whisperers in schools. Um, could you tell us a bit about why such comments from political leaders and media are so harmful for LGBTIQA plus Australians and in particular transgender, non-binary or gender questioning kids? Wow, well, um, gender whisperers. <laughs> right. I mean, the idea of gender, I mean, I kind of wrote in that piece that it was like, I mean, the idea of gender whisperers just really plants this idea that there are people talking about us and they're talking about us behind our backs or, you know, whatever. It's, you know, it's it's actually kind of part of the experience of, the experience of you know, being gender nonconforming that is really unpleasant is this, surveillance or this questioning or this kind of interrogation that we have from people that think that we're different and the kind of spirit that that comes from is informed by transphobia. And so it's very damaging to be kind of spoken about this or, or spoken like this in this in that kind of way. If it's like, you know, we're not doing anything wrong, you know, and that's something that's ingrained in society and something that gender questioning kids and gender nonconforming people come up against from a very early part in life is that what we're doing is wrong and there's nothing wrong with what we're doing at all. In fact, what's wrong is the interrogation that we face and the hostility that we face from cisgender people. That's the burden of being trans. Being trans is not really an issue. Like being trans is great and I wouldn't be cisgender for quids as I wrote and, and I believe that and I've said it all along but you know it's the it's the pressure that comes um, from from others who don't understand it's something really difficult to, to kind of deal with and so Scott Morrison's comments only just reinforce that but it just reinforces it from you know from the Prime Minister's office and it's the first time that it's ever been done and um, uh, it's yeah, just really, really hurtful to know that it's come from from so high. Yeah, I yeah, absolutely agree. It, it feels like quite the ambush, really, especially because there, you know, he wasn't even voted in. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> and what concerns me is his agenda now of. Um, you know, in, of now, like, what's he going to kind of look at in terms of, um, you know, laws or proposed laws for religious to protect religious freedoms? And if I speak, you know, I, you know, I can link that back to particularly to, um, if we can link that back to the institution um, and say, well, okay, if the government then comes ahead and says, well, we are now going to protect institutions. Um, we're going to be, give them the freedom to discriminate against trans people or gender non-conforming people. So the influence that that has on buildings, on space, on architecture, as I guess your question led to before, is that we will have schools or we will have healthcare centres or we will have prisons, for instance, that are not interested in the fact that trans and gender non-conforming or non-binary people exist in those spaces and that we will not be provided for because they will say, well, we've actually got this legislation which, are, which allows us not to provide a bathroom for you or to consider that just because you might occupy a certain percentage of the population of our user group, we're not going to cater for you. 
and that's a real concern. It absolutely is. Oh, God, yeah, it's a, a pretty bleak thing to talk about, to be honest, but thank you so much for all of the work that you do, uh, and I'd love to end the interview on a little bit of a brighter note. Uh, do you have yeah. anything else <laughs> coming up in Sydney after Soft Centre? Um, not in the, not in the short term future. Um, I mean, Sydney's always, I've had a great year in Sydney actually this year with between, um, Mardi Gras playing at the Mardi Gras official party and, uh, now playing soft center again. So, um, always love coming up to Sydney and, um, but yeah, soft center is going to be terrific. So, um, uh, yeah, I really implore everyone to, to grab it, grab a ticket and to, have a look at all the artists playing. It's really out there in terms of the thing that it's trying to do and where it sits in the festival market. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a really incredible lineup. And if you are keen to see Thresholds presented by Simona, Mossy Triple Three, and Papaphilia at Soft Centre or any of the other acts at Soft Centre on September 22nd, you can head to fbiradio.com forward slash presents for more information. And if you are an FBI Radio supporter, Email fbipresents at fbiradio.com with Soft Centre in the subject heading for your chance to win a double pass. Simona, thank you so much for joining us today on Agenda. My pleasure.
on today's show has been curated by Music New South Wales to showcase women in electronic music. are listening to FBI Radio. No name for you there with Don't Forget About Me. And before that, you heard the Various Asses remix of Breakfast of Champions by Simona Castricum. You're listening to Agenda, and we're joined now by Lisa Rose, the director of Queer Screen Film Festival, which is on from September 18 to 23. 20- 
three at Event Cinemas, George Street. We're also joined by Jane Morley, who is the producer of the documentary Nothing to Lose. The Australian premiere is happening as part of Queer Screen on Friday, September 21st. Lisa, Jane, thank you so much for coming on to Agenda this morning. No, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's great to be here. So Nothing to Lose is one of um, two Australian films in this year's Queer Screen Film Fest, chronicling the making of Force Majeure's hit dance production of the same name. So Jane, can you tell us um, a bit about the team behind the documentary and how you came to be involved? Sure. Um, So I worked, I started on the project when we started filming in 2013. Um, Kelly Jean Drinkwater, who's the director of the film, was a creative associate on the live work, um, working with Force Majeure and Kate Champion. And um, they were interested in documenting the process and KJ was like, let's potentially make a film. So I got on board and we started filming from the start. So the first auditions. I jumped off the project to do other work and then came back on. So the film is a really amazing, I guess, truly independent, community-made documentary. We work with lots of queer-identified folk um, from camera people to post-production sound. Um, Lots of people helped out along the way and donated a lot of their time, um, it being an independent production. And then we were really lucky. Uh, We applied for some queer screen completion funding and we got it. So we were able to um, uh, give the film a really amazing grade and spend more time in the edit and do a sound mix and that kind of stuff. So it was really an amazing opportunity for us to finish the film. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, The film's themes of challenging preconceptions around dance, beauty and desirability are very much a part of KJ's work as an activist. Um, How much of the film was shaped by her activism? Well, I think the film um, really is born of KJ's activism um, and I can't speak for her. She can't be here today, (laughs) but certainly I guess the the spirit or the motivation for the live work um, is was the same for making the film, which is about centering um, diverse bodies of all shapes, sizes, colours and genders and really um, showing the world that the mainstream <laughs> images that we see um, aren't, aren't the way that most folks are or many people are and that we're all capable of doing and being and, um, yeah, being centred in that way is, was really important to the whole process. So... Yeah, that's what's that's what's in it. Mm. Um, the product, both the production um, and the documentary, kind of challenge preconceptions and stigma around larger bodies on stage and in dance. Um, was did you find any sort of resistance against telling this story publicly, or were there any sort of um, challenges, um, like from the cast members with their own relationships with their bodies? Mm. Well, I think that um, what the film does show um, in some ways is the cast journey for making that live work um, and what that brought up for them in relationship to their identity and their um, identity and connection with their body throughout their entire life and and how that was shaping in this moment in the production. Um, In terms of resistance, I think that it's an incredibly vulnerable space to be in um, on a mainstream stage and for a lot of the cast it was the first time that they'd been Um, in that environment. Many of them had had experiences and connections to performance culture um, 
and dance and other kinds of um, live works, but certainly this was the first time that they were in a Sydney festival production mm. um, uh, with a mainstream, you know, large audience. So I guess resistance maybe not be the right word, but definitely it was there were challenges along the way for everybody. It's a really deeply personal space to be in. Mm. Um, Lisa, another key element of the 6th Queer Screen Film Festival is the launch of a brand new filmmaker initiative, uh, Queer Screen Pitch Off, which will see Australian LGBTIQ uh, plus filmmakers battle it out in a public pitch-off event for $10,000 in short film production funding. Can you tell us a little bit about this initiative and what opportunities you hope it'll bring to filmmakers? Yeah, it's super exciting. Uh, We... um we basically, obviously the completion fund that um, Jane mentioned, uh, we've got something for, for features that, that are at the point of um, post-production, but we really wanted to create something for emerging filmmakers. Um, and we have uh, My Queer Career, which is a short film competition that's been running for 25 years. Um, and it's the richest prize for LGBTIQ um, short film in Australia. Um, and so that is for completed short films, but we weren't doing anything for people who were trying to make short films. So um, we kind of came up with this idea. Um, there's a there's a festival festival in uh, Toronto called Inside Out, um, which does uh, fantastic um, stuff for industry. And um, they do something similar to this. And we reached out to them and they gave us some tips and we thought, let's put this together. And then we um, were really lucky to get uh, a sponsor on board, St George Bank, who um, have put up some money to uh, go to a film. And so we, put, we, uh, we, we did it all very, very very quickly um, but the the exciting thing is that we actually got like a heap of entries and we uh, went through the process just recently and uh, we told the people on Friday um, that who, who the six finalists are it'll be announced uh, in a couple of days who the six finalists are they were super excited um, it's going to be a really fantastic uh, day for the for the actual pitch event um, it should be super fun the, the the people are very diverse and the stories are really diverse um, there's some really interesting stuff in there and I hope that people come down because it's open to the public you do need to book a space it is free um, but you, we've got limited numbers so make sure you book a space um, to come down and watch it and is information on that um, available on the Queer Screen website? It is, queerscreen.org.au. Great. Um, and Lisa, can you kind of share some of your personal highlights from this year's um, Queer Screen Film Fest program? I can indeed. Um, one of my personal highlights is a film called I Used to Be Normal, a boy band fangirl story, which is on Wednesday night. I played at Sydney Film Festival earlier this year um, and I just thought I have to play it again because uh, I saw 11 films at Sydney Film Festival and it was my absolute favourite. Um, it is just... You know, in this world that we are right now, where there's a lot of crappy things happening, let's be honest, um, it's just pure, unadulterated joy, uh, and it's just super fun. And it's just about, it's about four women um, who just love boy bands. And you think, why would that be playing in a queer film festival? Women loving men—that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but it, um, it, one of one of the women, uh, her her love of um, of a particular uh, member of a boy band made her realise that she actually was queer. Um, so it's uh, she'll actually be a guest of the festival here for a Q and A. It's also going to be open caption screening as well because uh, we're always trying to improve improve our accessibility. So that's one super highlight. Um, the lesbian short which are playing on um, Sunday at 5 o'clock uh, is uh, my favourite package of short films I've ever programmed. Uh, it's an incredible amount of... Incredible amount. 
incredible range of films, um, all from female, female filmmakers. Um, there's one particular film called Masks, which won um, the Frameline Audience Award, uh, which is the largest LGBTIQ short film, sorry, largest LGBTIQ film festival in the world in San Francisco. Um, and it's also been nominated for the Student Oscars just recently. Um, it's just a fantastic film. It is quite confronting. It's um, set in a, in a nightclub um, with, a, with a nightclub shooting. Um, and it's about a closeted um, Jewish-Iranian um, uh, medical student. And uh, it's incredibly powerful and uh, fantastic filmmaking. And that's, that's one of the films in that. And I highly recommend coming down to see that. I think you had some highlights too, didn't you, Jane? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go down and see a few films. We're so happy to be in this program. It's such an amazing program. Um, I'm going to go and see the documentary, I think it's pronounced Bixa Travesty, about a Brazilian trans woman and that what took out the Best Documentary Prize, um, the Teddy Award for yep, Best Berlin. Documentary at the Berlin Film Festival. Definitely going to go down and see that. Um, uh, Life in the Doghouse. Yeah. I'm a dog fan. It is so good. It's so good. I actually got... A rescue dog on the back of watching that. See, it's already yeah. winning prizes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm definitely going to go down and see the um, director's cut of the George Michael documentary. I'm a huge George Michael fan and um, yeah. Lisa just announced that Sterogamus are doing a music thing afterwards mm-hmm. and Sterogamus made the finale track for the Nothing to Lose live work, which also features in the film. Some great synergy there. So yeah, I'm going to go and see the Freedom doco. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. It is such a jam-packed program uh, and we can't wait. Uh, Lisa and Jane, thank you so much for coming on to Agenda this morning. Queer Screen Film Festival is on from September 18 to 23 at Event Cinemas George Street and Nothing to Lose is screening on the 21st. Head to queerscreen.org.au for tickets or to the Agenda program page at fbiradio.com forward slash programs for more information. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today on Agenda. Um, We're going to leave you now with this track by Imbi the Girl from their brand new release, um, For Me. It's called Angel Face. Stick around for Weekend Lunch up next with Ted Dwyer.
anymore You decorate yourself in perfect metaphorical nonsense No pretense, no redemption I couldn't tell you how many times I told myself I'd do you no favors Still I find myself reading pages I consulted my countless sages They told me it'd take me ages So I turned to my flower vases They said nothing but made me painless I swear that every time I pick up my phone I hope to see reflections of you over my home screen in what I thought would be a romantic film Turns out that you wouldn't pick the red over blue pills I hope you see you see through me So please don't tell them what you see I hope you see you see through me And please don't tell them what you I hope you see you see through Please don't tell them what you I hope you, I hope you see Don't tell them what you see Observing everyone, but you were the art. <laughs> 